Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. Stranded. Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker, and his Padawan Ahsoka Tano are caught in the middle of a treacherous battle between good and evil. The scales now tip toward the dark side. Our three warriors must guard against attack as they plan their escape. A great weight has been placed on Anakin's shoulders, for it is now that he must face who he really is. So the episode starts off where our heroes, Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, and Anakin are in their shuttle. Ahsoka is doing a lot of the repairs in the ship. She gives kind of an update to Obi-Wan. It's not looking good. Uh, Things are taking kind of a while, Uh, but Anakin really is feeling distraught about this entire situation and is worried about what the son might do next. And so he leaves on a speeder to go confront the father and talk to him a little bit further uh, and get his insight on this entire situation. The father is saying his goodbyes and and putting the daughter in a tomb Uh, On Anakin's pursuit to go see the father, uh, he has uh, a vision uh, of Qui-Gon, or that's actually right after he sees the father and talks to him a little to get his input, uh, and he gets input from Qui-Gon on on whether or not uh, he should kill the son uh, or what exactly he should do. Qui-Gon gives him sage advice, and then Anakin continues on his way uh, into uh, the well of darkness to be able to confront the sun. Indeed, he does uh, meet the sun face-to-face once again. Uh, the sun hatches yet another uh, evil attempt to convince Anakin to join him on Mortis so they can be all-powerful together. And in doing so, he kind of pulls the same magic he did on Ahsoka in the first part of this trilogy, where he uh, puts him into a sort of trance, and this allows Anakin, uniquely, to see his future. So he kind of haunts him with what could be if he continues on the the path that he's on. Um, interestingly, we know, because we know Anakin, that all of the stuff that he's using to dissuade Anakin um, from from the Jedi and from the good side is, in fact, what does come true. He sees a vision of uh, the Emperor. He sees... Um, well, in fact, he sees a vision of, of even Darth Vader. And so this, in fact, does convince Anakin, Anakin to join with the son. And he gets red eyes and he goes back to uh, kind of denounce himself from uh, from Obi-Wan. Yes. So Obi-Wan has a feeling that something's going on and tells Ahsoka to dis- disassemble certain parts of the ship that she's essentially just been fixing. Uh, Obi-Wan goes to approach Anakin Uh, It doesn't go well. Anakin tells Obi-Wan that he's essentially going to be his downfall and then steals his speeder and speeds away so that he and the son can escape, leaving Obi-Wan at the bottom of this very, very deep uh, pit of lava, essentially, standing on a a platform, but at the bottom of it. Um, The son and uh, Anakin go to uh, the shuttle to try and take it. Uh, Ahsoka has disassembled it and ultimately is able to sneakily steal the speeder from them uh, and then go and rescue Obi-Wan, Anakin, uh, and then the son uh, have kind of a a, a confrontation back and forth. And the son decides, okay, I've got an idea. I'm going to go talk to the father. But the father is secretly right there. Uh, and talks to Anakin and basically gives him a memory wipe, uh, touches his head, uh, reverting him back to his state prior to being turned by the sun, forgetting all of the information that the sun had told him, uh, ultimately the causes for him turning to the dark side, and thus he is back as part of the light side. Uh, And then the father and Anakin uh, return to the monastery, 
where uh, the son arrives uh, to essentially fuck some shit up. Yeah, we might have skipped the part where the son also visits his sister in the tomb and he expresses some remorse over her death and he's there to steal the Sword of Mortis, which he does. He intends to use it to uh, to kill his father, but the father actually takes the the sword from the son and uses it to kill himself, which neuters the son's power and ultimately the, the trifecta of, of, of force power on Mortis. Uh, dissolves and this sets our heroes free. Does that cover all the broad strokes of the episode? Yeah, for the most part. So from there, uh, because the sun is weakened, Anakin kills him with his lightsaber. Uh, that ultimately, by having the the Force wielders, this uh, first family family of the Force uh, dead, the life force of Mortis uh, reduces, uh, and ultimately these like beacons on top of the monasteries die out transporting all of our heroes back to their ship as if no time had passed at all oh yeah and our heroes are essentially like whoa what kind of happened Not too much to explain to you rex but let's go on our merry way as if this spiritual journey is something that we will take with us in morals and lessons but not necessarily as something that we can ever really quantify as an experience or really even qualify for that matter yeah i forgot about the sort of wizard of oz-esque twist ending where they like come to on their ship and they're like no child you've just been asleep for five minutes and actually this whole adventure has taken place and like all of this learning has taken place um is there a case to be made that mortis does not exist in the same mortal sense as the rest of star wars and that maybe this was all um an internal forcological adventure had by had by Anakin? Um, I don't think so uh, because of the Obi-Wan and Ahsoka side of things. And I think that that's really kind of, I mean, Obi-Wan has a really good line. Uh, the way I see it, if I were not supposed to interfere Ahsoka and I wouldn't be here in the first place. Sure. Uh, and I think that that's for the most part, yes, they do have such large influence on Anakin's life, but, uh, and so does Qui-Gon and Qui-Gon finds a way to be there as well. Uh, but I, I do believe their their literal presence there uh, is important in, in distinguishing this as not being purely in Anakin's mind. I kind of think, having seen all three parts now, that Ahsoka's dead weight in this story, that like she has an important role to play in part one, and that was entertaining, and I like Ahsoka, but Obi-Wan, as is often the case in the Clone Wars episodes I've seen, he's just kind of there, and I think he could have been more involved had Ahsoka not also been there, because then he could have served the purpose you just described. He's the only other one along for the ride. He's the adventurer you're more invested in anyhow. And I just kind of think that in this uh, third part, Ahsoka is hardcore benched in the story. And it just had me realizing that that she wasn't that essential to the Mortis arc at all. I wouldn't disagree. However, what we'll take away from Ahsoka's connection to the daughter is going to be important. And True. also the duality of things anakin having two people there uh, to represent i guess two parts of him um I've, although they are both light side parts of him it is still keeping things with certain elements of duality and star wars certainly likes that um and also the trilogies as well with three characters but i think it's just important to have ahsoka there because she's also the main character of the clone wars tv show and it's she's yeah along for the ride with everything that these characters do. 
Uh, but I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think that she could maybe have a little bit more to do and that uh, Obi-Wan and her are a little bit benched just in terms of they, especially after episode one, don't really need to have both of their roles playing alongside one another, but they're both there. And so you, you have to keep them. And I think they do a good enough job where it doesn't feel too overt that Ahsoka's just there. And she does help Obi-Wan, which is a pretty important part of things. Uh, and, and he has a visitation from uh, from Qui-Gon, Anakin does, which I didn't see yep. coming. Um, once again, I, I find it odd that he's not more struck by what I presume is his first ever Force Ghost experience. And, um, uh, you know, obviously he's met Qui-Gon, although it was years ago for him, and it only lasted a weekend. And so, like, the whole Anakin-Qui-Gon connection, uh, I'm not sure it all adds up for me. Uh, what do you mean in terms of, uh, him not feeling a strong attachment to Qui-Gon? I think, I think that a little bit. And also just like I said before, it was the same criticism I had. Granted, it's a nitpick. There's only, there are only 22 minute episodes, but it's the same criticism mm -hmm. I had about Obi-Wan seeing Qui-Gon for the first time in the Mortis arc. It's like, it's just, there is no precedent for force ghosts to these characters at this point. And mm. there is for us, the viewer, but they seem to just be taking it in stride a little too easily. They're in experiencing a lot of insanity on this planet. True. This planet is showing them so much craziness that they're not really, I think you go back to Obi-Wan's line uh, from a new hope of your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. And I think that's kind of what they're doing here. They're not really even really believing exactly what they're seeing or hearing. Obi-Wan definitely doesn't really believe it uh, from Qui-Gon at the start. He starts to loosen up a little bit. Uh, Anakin, I think would have a strong attachment to Qui-Gon though. I would say it'd be a little bit more than, than a weekend, but at the same time, maybe not. And he saved uh, his life. Like there's, there is obviously a, a a really fundamental uh, emotional debt. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was arguably the first person to believe in him. Yeah. So I think those are all really important elements, and the fact that they are also connected through the Force. The Qui Gon is one with the Force, and Anakin's uh, spiritual connection to the Force is being just a, a, a strong, powerful Jedi, and Qui Gon being one with the Force at this one time as well. So there's going to be a familiarity with it too, even beyond it just being Qui-Gon's face. It's also the force. So it feels familiar as opposed to, uh, I guess, kind of deceiving. One thing that's interesting that Dave Filoni mentioned in one of the behind the scenes uh, that I, I did uh, get caught up on those before the end of this. And he described it as if the entire arc of these three episodes is the cave of evil on Dagobah. And so it's just, it's this, very lucid dream, but it is real. And it's just all force influenced. And so there's so much flexibility with everything that occurs. And the characters are kind of aware of that. Luke doesn't freak out that much when he sees his own face in the in the cave of evil. No, he you're right. Like come out screaming at Yoda being like, oh my God, what the hell? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I think also the fact that it's it's dreamlike, if not literally a dream, mm. uh, lends itself really well to the conclusion, which is uh, Captain, was it Captain Rex or who who were they talking to in the end? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Rex. Cap uh, Captain Rex I, basically- It was cutting out a little bit for me. Basically revealing that this incredible three-part adventure that we've been watching all happened like in the blink of an eye to the outside world. Uh, and that's mm. kind of how dreams work too. Like you you wake up from 
a 20 minute nap and it feels like you you like journeyed to middle earth in the time you were asleep and so that actually works but on that note uh two things i notice about this arc having spent so much time uh hearing about it before experiencing it myself uh two phrases never uttered in uh this three-part episode uh force nexus and world between worlds, which are things that I know a little bit about through you, but they were never mm. explicitly explained. And and nor was the Force Ghost factor. Like I figured if Force Ghosts are as complicated as you say, and Mortis plays a role in, exp- in explaining what that is, um, I figured that it would literally explain what it is, not, not require us to then do a little more research. No. So actually, this is just the entry point into the most mystical elements of Star Wars. And so the Mortis gods are related to the world between worlds. And the the father even describes it as my son broke the laws of time and showed you what you should never have seen. Right. So Ahsoka and Ezra later break the laws of time and do something that never should be done. It's the only reason Ahsoka is alive. Okay. Uh, and so that's something that comes into play in Rebels, something that we will need to watch uh, in advance and preparing you for the Ahsoka show. And so there'll be a couple arcs in there that you'll definitely need to see. Uh, and they explain more the world between worlds. Gotcha. Now there is another arc, and I believe it's a four episode arc. It might be three episodes, but I think it's four. Uh, and it's I, I always refer to it kind of as Yoda's force journey. And so this is Yoda learning how to become a force ghost. Ah. And so this one really teaches us a lot more about the force ghost process. And these are, I believe the last, so there was, when Clone Wars was canceled, they had an extra set of episodes that were finished or near finished and they've completed them and they released them afterwards as kind of like lost episodes. And so these, uh, this Yoda force journey was, I believe, the last arc that we had of the Clone Wars before it had its triumphant return. Uh, and it is awesome. It's one, it's probably, if not my second, my third favorite arc of the Clone Wars uh, after Mortis, but it probably is my second favorite one. And so that's another one we de- you will, def- I will definitely be sharing with you. And, I, and doesn't necessarily have as much uh, coming up in, in the near future of Star Wars TV shows. Uh, but is one that probably we should also explore before the Ahsoka show, uh, which we have no idea uh, other than is is seemingly casting now, um, but no idea on the ETA for that one. And so what the son does to break the laws of time in this episode is uh, give Anakin a vision of his future. And I, I mentioned in the recap, he sees the emperor um, and he sees the like the the silhouette of the Vader helmet. He also actually hears you are my brother, Anakin, which was really kind of striking. Mm. Um, are we to uh, take away that he briefly becomes Vader for a spell here? The eyes are red. Yep. He becomes, well, Vader in a way, uh, there is a, a fine line between dark side and Sith. And hateful. And he's not as hateful. He's ju- He still seems to have like some kind of cause, albeit an evil one. Yeah. And so Palpatine is like the dark side is bad and Palpatine is trying to tap into the dark side, but he's doing it through like a, a very like parasitic ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he, he he's, he's feeding off of it and, and corrupting the force. But the dark side is a natural part of the force. Anakin's almost more of like a natural dark sider here. It's almost like he's a vegan dark sider, <laughs> whereas like uh, 
uh, Palpatine's more of a, a full blood red meat dark side. For sure. Uh, I, I'm just kind of spitballing, but it, it does feel like, like and, and there's something that's very interesting about this arc uh, is that down in, I forget, is it called the Well of uh, yep. Darkness or it, it is the Well of Darkness? Though, okay. Hang on a second. Uh, I've got it written here somewhere. The Well of... Uh, I don't think it is Darkness. No, I, it's keep, keep finish your thought and I'll, I'll find it on my notes here. Yeah, it's the well of something. But uh, so while they're down there, uh, the son was supposed to have a conversation with Darth Revan and Darth Bane, right? Who are two of the most famous uh, Sith lords uh, in history, and that would be the creator of the Rule of Two and the the leading Sith uh, Lord of the the Old Republic era. And so these two Sith lords were supposed to essentially be communing with the son. But George Lucas uh, axed that idea at the end and said that, no, wait a minute, that, that goes against the notion of Darksiders being able to retain consciousness post-death uh, and staying within the Force, which is, sorry, Sith Lords. And so that's anti-Sith Lord. Like, and that, that doesn't work. Sith don't have the ability to retain their consciousness in that regard. And so there is also a bit of a distinction that they that Star Wars actively made in making or George Lucas actively made in making sure that the Sith and the dark siders while the same are not the same. Uh, and that there is like the sun is almost, is a little bit more of a pure dark sider. Um, and, but still would not be able to retain consciousness post death the same way that the daughter might be doing through Ahsoka. Amazing that George had the ability, the capacity to self edit there. Cause like sometimes yeah. he, he is not above letting it get a little sloppy. Not that he himself is sloppy. Like he seems to understand his world, obviously better than yeah. anyone. But um, not with the force. That's one thing George is pretty tight on. Yeah, that's there. good. Like, there's some there's some plot stuff always that's going to be that people may not care so much about. Um, like Obi Wan not really remembering R two D two in A New Hope. Thing, little things like that that people can criticize George for. But I. I I'd say when it comes to the workings of the force at this point, especially in the prequel era, he had this so down pat that it was, uh, it made sense for him to catch himself on this. And Dave Filoni uh, even described it as being uh, incredibly important to the, I guess the sanctity of the force that yeah. it was caught and that it retained uh, its original interpretation. It's called the well of the dark side, by the way. So well of the dark close. side. It's a well of darkness. I was close. Okay. Uh, which is very cool. Like, it's a really cool image. I guess I should have used that as a trivia question because I got to be honest, I came up with no trivia. Like, I figured oh, I could. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I mean, like, I could come up with, like, some really minutiae stuff about, um, I got to be honest, like, uh, Ahsoka's little monologue about all of, like, the technical mechanicing she does. I find really, I found it really corny. I was like, they're trying so hard to be jargony here. And I could have taken I some, liked it. some quote from that for the for trivia years, but I didn't bother. And then everything else was like pretty straightforward. And so I couldn't I couldn't come up with any obvious trivia questions. And no, I did actually quite like uh, Ahsoka's little speech about things that were uh, not working in particular on the ship. And, and I did take some of those uh, for for trivia. But at, in the same vein, uh, I don't have to use those either. I won't be able uh, what to solve the, those. Uh, what? Uh, what is the last thing the father says to the daughter? Uh, it's it's sweet. It's um, sleep free. Sleep, 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 free. sleep well, sleep free. Sleep well, my child. Yeah, sleep well and then sleep free, I think. Yeah. But yeah, sleep sleep free. I think I thought that was um, nice. I, thought, I think that's a nice phrase. Yeah. And it kind of relates to the idea that here where she was, she was in 
some kind of trappings. She was she was in a prison of mortis and an ethical prison that was like never going to end if not for some kind of intervention. There was always going to be turmoil within the first family of the force. And now she's free. Yeah, of that. It, yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't going to end well. And you're right; they were they're all prisoners, uh, and maybe her sleeping free is is in a way through Ahsoka. And so we'll have to but, wait and, and see a little bit more on that. But now they're not prisoners because they all die. And does that make them the eponymous ghosts of Mortis? The episode's called Ghosts of Mortis, and I'm not sure it's clear who the go- ghosts of Mortis are. I, I think it is them. I don't. That's I, that's all I can think of. Is it, just it's the memories that these characters will leave on on Anakin and well, Anakin in particular, but our but our three main heroes. I, I, that's kind of the way I see it. Is is more of a, like the ghosts or the imprinting of these characters on them, but also because yeah, they they do all die. But right. the daughter in particular, sleep free. I think it works because she is part of the light side, and the fact that her force, like her essence continues to live on and sleep free, whereas the sons would not. And very in particularly, uh, he's killed. And I don't know how the father's essence uh, exists. I don't, that was I don't my really next question. Know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have no sweet clue whatsoever, but considering that Anakin is the chosen one of his era and is able to retain consciousness in the force, it wouldn't surprise me if the father does too. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I that like would that. make the most sense. Hey, if that's the, like the key distinction between uh, followers of the light side and the dark side is, a, you know, uh, eternal existence. I guess we've talked about that before, about how like you'll 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 last forever because we've definitely talked about the irony of how what what Sith want or what dark side users want mm-hmm. is the ability to last forever. It's certainly what Palpatine wanted. Um, if that is the biggest difference, I feel like that's an underappreciated facet of what the force is. In general, yes, but it, it's not universal. You don't always have the ability to retain your consciousness. Your yep. essence will transform into the Force, but the ability to retain your individuality is something that Qui Gon was the first to learn of. Right. And so, the I think these special beings, uh, these celestials, get a pass because they know so much. I'm sure it's a different situation with them. They are just influencers but they're gods in the same way so i i really don't know maybe they maybe once they're dead they're dead uh, th- i'm hoping we learn more about these characters in some capacity uh down the line whether it's through another vision uh or whether it's adding a little bit more um fact to the myth uh or maybe i don't want that but uh, it definitely needs to be handled with kid gloves by the right kind of people to make sure that it all makes sense moving forward. It's not clear to me why if the son kills the father, he then consumes the father's power. I mean, I, I get that. We saw that in Rise of Skywalker. Um, but why is it different from if the the father kills himself, the son is then drained of power? Where else do we see that uh, calculation in Star Wars? And how did he know it would happen? We don't necessarily see it anywhere but it would be consistent with the way that the episode ends. Uh, and it is consistent and something that I do really love. And I've mentioned many times about the way Exical heals itself mm-hmm. at the end of the rise of Skywalker and Mortis loses a significant amount of its force power 
when the first family died. But I assume when the father dies is yes. the key element there. And so by the father dying, the planet has less fo life force and thus the sun has less life force to draw upon. And the sun is no longer as connected directly to the force with the ability for him to over manipulate what Anakin can do, allowing Anakin to just kill him because they're ultimately more put on equal playing field in the situation. It's, it's cutting away his immortality. Um, right. And once, once again, I, I love comparing it to Hercules. Uh, oh my I God. I was just going to say, it reminds me so much of Disney's Hercules. I was waiting for you to finish speaking. <laughs> So I could oh, say, so I could say, it's just like when Hercules dives into the River Styx to save Meg, yes. and he's getting older by the second, and just as he's about to die of old age, he achieves uh, saint status, becomes a god for having done the right thing, made the self-sacrificial thing, the the selfless thing in service of the greater mm -hmm. good, and ultimately Hades' power is is taken away from him. <laughs> yes, and, and and then the little string turns into like that gold color, and yeah. they're not able to cut it. Right. Uh, so very much that thought process, and that was exactly what I wanted them to mirror. And I think they did an okayish job of mirroring in the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I think there is some walking into hell to to save uh, your counterpart, um, the person you love. So there is uh, an. an a good mirroring of that, which I, which I do really love. There's the beautiful elements of Star Wars poetry, as George Lucas always says. But I do have a couple more trivia ones for you here. Okay. Um, what is the last thing Qui-Gon says to Anakin? Uh, okay, the last thing Qui-Gon says to Anakin is to remember his training mm. and what? It's a classic force words. Oh, remember, remember your training and something else? Yeah. Remember your training. Remember your destiny, your path. Trust your instincts. Ah, trust your instincts. That's pretty good, Qui-Gon. And the last one. What is the name of the ship our heroes find in the part mortis aboard? <laughs> uh, was that a part of the, like, the little blurb at the beginning? No, it's said later on when Ahsoka's trying to make contact. Okay, can you read the question again? Yeah, what is the name of the ship our heroes find and depart Mortis aboard? What's the name of, the, of, the, of their shuttle? Did you tell me this recently? Did we talk about this recently? No. Okay, then I won't get it. Shuttle 634. Yeah, no, I definitely wouldn't have got that. She, she, she just says, Jedi shuttle 634. Yeah. I also don't have a whole lot of quotes. I really feel like I've come to this podcast underprepared. Uh, your destiny no. can can change just as quickly as the love in one's heart can fade. Nothing is set in stone. I think that's really good. Mm. Um, and uh, the father's line, and now I die, my heart broken, but nothing, but knowing the role you will play. Um, yeah. That's what the father says, right? That's that's really good. Yeah, I always knew there was good in you. Uh, the father says that as well. He I says just, that like, to the father, Um No, it, to the son. And so it's... But is there good in the son? I mean, yes, he did like have compassion for his sister, but that's the only like decent thing we see in him. Yeah, no, it, it, there, there, there isn't really. But it's, it's, it's a loving sort of moment, and the reason why I like it is because it harkens to what Padme says. Yeah, uh, but Anakin, and so uh, it's ironic. My sister, you were the only one I truly loved. Mm -hmm. Talking with the son now again. Uh, he's mine now. To Obi Wan is so evil, but really well voice acted yeah for sure 
The future by its nature can be changed. I'm sorry, I have seen that it is the Jedi who will stand in the way of peace, which is very prophetic and, and in fact mm. true, although manipulative. Yeah, the only other Anakin line I had is, uh, I will I will do such terrible things. Yeah. He, he says that one. It's very well acted by Matt Lanter. Well, and when, when finally his uh, memory of that experience was wiped, I was so relieved because I had already talked about how I find it weird that none of hmm. this Mortis experience seems to exist in Anakin's motivations in the live action story. <laughs> and if this had experience, had happened, like it would be sorely lacking from Revenge of the Sith. Like all of the Darth yeah. Vader stuff happening in real time, you'd think he'd start to go, wait a second, this reminds me of the sun on Mortis. And it's more believable now that he has forgotten at least a portion of that. Yeah, that is definitely essential. That yeah. he, and, and I do believe there's part of them that questions the reality that what they experience as well. I don't think it's something that they necessarily chat about amongst the three of themselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's something they probably see as a shared vision or like, like an acid trip of the force. Well, yeah, say. again, like uh, probably a quiet sense of, wait a second, did I dream that? Is that real? Did that really happen? Yeah, definitely. And it's, I, I, I think the, the, there, there would be argument, but I really do come down to the fact that with Obi-Wan and Ahsoka there, I think it has to be. Uh, but then again, it does blur the line more than almost anything in Star Wars ever has. And although I do definitely think that the sequel trilogy did a good job by creating um, these kind of interdimensional force moments, whether it's Ray's vision after she touches the saber, how she's interacting with things, uh, the mirror cave, uh, a little bit less so. Well, the mirror cave is very cool. Uh, and then again, when with Dark Ray, and those are all ex such ex very interactive, very dreamlike, very weird well, uh, encounters that yes. would be. They're very Mortis-like in this in, in their. Uh, mental impact they would have on the character. But they're all individuals. She has all those experiences by herself. Yes, um, absolutely. And obviously she is force bonded with someone else. And we've talked about that a lot. That Those experiences are not necessarily so Mortis-like. But do you think it's really above the force's power to synchronize the dreams of three Jedi? Like, just let's just say for the argument that the whole Mortis thing was, in fact, a dream. It's pretty believable that the Force could sync up the dreams of Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka so that they're all having the same dream at once. But why does it need to? To teach I them a lesson, to warn Anakin, or I don't know. But that's the thing. I think that goes down back to Obi-Wan's line of, uh, if they weren't supposed to interfere, Ahsoka and he wouldn't be there. I think it, it comes down to them needing to be there to impact Anakin's journey or else he could just have the dream on his own. He could, they could be part of his dream, but they don't need to partake in the dream unless they would also need to be. And I guess then you could say that the force is giving them all some equal dream, but then it's like, it's putting them in some sort of weird stupor. And then it's also, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make as much sense to me. Sure. Uh, and I believe with star Wars, it makes more sense for space and time to converge in a, a literal, well, uh, for space and time to converge sure. as opposed to time to be just manipulated on its own. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I think the fortune cookie is really interesting. Uh, the opening mm. uh, quote that the episode begins on is, he who seeks to confront fate shall never find peace. And this is interesting because while it's, it's a nice turn of phrase, I actually think it, um, 
it's in conflict with some of the core tenets of Star Wars, which is that you it's, it's never too late to change your destiny. The future isn't written yet. And it kind of seems to fly in the face of that. I I wrote it down as control fate. I don't know if that's uh, if one of us read that wrong. I, uh, I I think it's confront, but I can do a, a, a quick live uh, fact check if you like. Let's let's just. Uh, well, it's kind of the same. Confront your confront your fate, control your fate. I am I wrong about that? Do you do you see what I mean? And that it, it kind of is mm. contradictory towards this idea that it's never too late to get on the right path. No, I, I don't. I don't quite know what you mean. I think it does. It is consistent with that uh, in terms of if you're trying to control fate then you'll never find peace. If you're just living and making decisions by decisions, then you're going to be okay. I, th I think you look, Anakin makes the wrong decisions when he's trying to control fate later on, when he's in particular having these, I guess, kind of, he's thinking he knows what's going to happen and is trying to change things as opposed to just letting his decisions be can made at a one at a time basis it is control fate you were right about that um uh, but you're for what you're arguing it didn't matter uh, I'm, I'm just not quite sure i see it that way okay fair enough fair enough that's kind of all i have to say about the mortis arc i think that i need to see a little more maybe from uh i guess just from the story in general just to see how what implications it has on the character's arcs because it kind of feels a little inconclusive to me it just kind of feels like another little side adventure that did have big stakes no question mm. um, and definitely changes the way you uh, internalize what the force is galactically um, but it didn't answer all my questions and I guess that's good yeah I don't think it should answer all your questions I think it should uh, intrigue you I hope it did that oh yeah 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 um, and uh, hopefully piques your interest to trying a few more uh, different arcs that are experimental and uh, there are some other really great arcs in Clone Wars uh, some ones with Maul and Mandalore and Boba Fett uh, that we'll be exploring and then there'll be a few more in Rebels too and maybe you'll find that you like Rebels a little bit more even um, but then again I don't think that that's going to be the case because they're a little less contained even than these arcs. Uh, Rebels is a very much uh, a continuing story. Um, so there might be a little bit more explaining to do around that. But yeah. then again, there are some some pretty incredible arcs in Rebels that we'll go over too. Um, a couple other just things to, to put, a couple lines from the father. Uh, I'm an old fool who believed he could control the future. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a smart one in particular to emphasize his, his age um but also uh anakin uh that tying directly back to the moral of the episode the little fortune cookie there um and then of course the father saying hmm perhaps perhaps not the force will decide and i think that's a really important one because the father really is he doesn't make decisions he, he doesn't do anything he, right. he is just he's this conduit for the force and i think that's that's an important uh Thing to consider in the decisions that he makes uh and even his like betrayal of the son kind of at the end and that he yes is it a betrayal no he does it because it is necessary for balance and stability it is a decision deprived of emotion because emotionally he doesn't want to do it um, and he's capable of separating that emotion something that we know anakin would never have been capable of doing if the if the moment required it um he, although as much as he loves obi-wan the person he loves the most in the world is 
Padme. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately he would be willing to compromise all of his morals for Padme. Whereas the father, for example, uh, an example of a more, I guess, a better God than Anakin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, knows how to make the right decision there. Well, and you mentioned God. There was so much hype about this arc being biblically inspired. And, and of course, thematically, it feels like that. One of the most fundamental things about the Mortis arc that I did not know going in is that it is n- mainly an Anakin story. And I almost wonder if that kind of overcrowds the Mortis arc. Like, I, I kind of think it might have been a little bit richer as a Force fan or a Force student to learn a little bit more about the origins of the father and his children and thus the power of Mortis rather than involving all of this chosen one stuff in their story and then just just being like a stop along the way. Does that make sense? That is interesting. I think this is the appropriate way to introduce it, but that is absolutely something that I want to see more of in Star Wars. I think there are I don't know whether it's the prophecies that you use as your anchor point, mm. whereas the the Mortis gods are maybe the source of said prophecies, and that's part of the reason as to why they're like obsessed with the Chosen One, and so maybe some other key prophecies we can link back at an earlier, later point in Star Wars, or I guess an earlier point if the Force gods are to be alive uh, in Star Wars canon, and then maybe tell a different story in that way. But I think it's kind of key to introduce it with Anakin, but I think that does what you just said also lend maybe a bit more credit to not having both Ahsoka and Obi-Wan there, and that maybe the arc could be better served to only have um, one person there alongside Anakin. Um, Right. But that doesn't help for the first episode of the arc, which uh, I would say is probably the best episode of the arc as well. Right. And also something that really distinguishes it from like its its biblical roots is that, I mean, I would say that if they are the first family of the force, then it's really just the father who is in the garden of Eden, so to speak. And his children are Cain and Abel because they are at odds because they are now within like a, like a flawed society. But, but Cain and Abel are not preoccupied with like Jesus Christ and like what's to come later on. Uh, Whereas they are, they're much more knowing. Mm -hmm. That's fair. This is um, the use of the first family of the force. That's uh, I, 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 that's a term I'm sure other people have used, but that is a term that I just made up. Um, Well, it, it holds though. It does hold. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, they are different in that regard. But yeah, good point on Cain and Abel. I never really saw it so much that way. Um, but yeah, if, that is definitely in terms of the trying to kill each other. But at the same time, uh, the, the one, the only one that the, the brother loved. So he's certainly a, an interesting character. And uh, the son would be, or son, the brother, or whatever. Um, that would definitely be the main focus if they were to do another story. Oh, yeah. Uh, an, an earlier story. The Or maybe it's the maybe they're both balanced when they're born and something uh, maybe the, the mother, the mother dies and then they diverge into extreme light and extreme dark. Cause then, they, then they know pain and then they've experienced they, one, one learns empathy and one learns grief and yeah. one like it just, it spirals. And because they are just so powerful in the forest that they follow the paths so fast but they follow them the wrong way the path to the dark side the path to the left. see that Ooh, sounds really that's kinda, good that's kind of interesting that sounds so good to me and yet we got another story about how anakin's probably going to turn bad someday and i don't mean to trivialize it because like it's good and mm. i care about that 
that character development, obviously, but like at least the ooh, Anakin has um, conflict within him is not new. And so it, it felt a little overcrowded. That's fair. Yeah. But it is the Clone Wars too. So yeah. in order for them to make it not just a totally like, what the hell is going on sure. sort of story, uh, they do need to find a linkage. But I, I think that is just more... Uh, opportunity for them opening this up to a new story in, in the future in some way. And I think the Ahsoka show is the only thing that we currently have, uh, maybe something in some things in the high Republic. Those are the only things that we currently have on the table that I think could lead back to Mortis and uh, the, the gods of Cel and the celestials and, and their stories. Any other thoughts about this episode? Uh, one other one. And that is that, uh, I didn't know what it was called before, but I sure as hell do now. Uh, the Yundiker class jump speeder. That is the fold up speeder that they use. Those yeah. things are friggin' awesome. They are. Really they cool. look so sweet. Yeah. Uh, they have a great design. And the fact that they just fold up uh, and they have like full swoop bike mm -hmm. capabilities. That is uh, my new favorite speeder bike in Star Wars. That I was, I was awesome. sad when it just got swept into the lava. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> It's so cool. I absolutely, I had, yeah, I had some, some highlights. It's a good uh, moment. Course, You're right. All of the ones that we had mentioned, uh, the only ones we hadn't mentioned thus far uh, is the Imperial March yep. uh, usage. And of course, Anakin just casually saying, sorry, as he just pushes Obi-Wan's bike into the yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. I really liked the well of the dark side. I thought that was a really cool, cool image. Okay. Uh, on yeah. to the, on to the news, please. Yeah. Uh, so in the news, there is a little bit just of conversation around uh, fan input. And this is something that is kind of interesting. Lucy Lawless was the Internet's decision to replace Gina Carano if they needed to cast somebody. I saw that. Which is actually which is actually a really great choice. But in the same vein, the Internet's weird like pitchfork mob mentality of, oh, we need LeVar Burton to host Jeopardy. Ooh, we need this person to, we need uh, Idris Elba to be James Bond. Yeah. And it's just like, they just pick one thing. And it's not that these are necessarily bad decisions that people are making. It's just a matter of every other decision that could be made. People say, oh, it's the wrong decision because yep. it's not just this one that groupthink decided upon. Yes. Uh, but in that same vein, Lucy Lawless uh, appreciated the, the fan engagement, but mentioned that it may... Have, may she did say she has no idea but it, it may have cost her actually a role in star wars <laughs> because she was already in discussion about a different role uh in star wars and then this whole thing came up about and and she, she said who knows but there is elements of not wanting to capitulate to uh, the world asking for something uh, and so uh, she, 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 I forget, I don't have her exact wording right in front of me, but she did not uh, say it in a way that was ungrateful like, or anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or taking a shot at Disney or taking a shot at fans. Just, it was very well worded in the manner of this doesn't need to become a thing. Uh, and it may not always help people. Uh, and okay. I think that that is probably very accurate. <laughs> I mean, that's good. That sounds like the right way to handle it. But at the same time, I can't imagine a scenario where they where they would say, oh, people are going to be pissed if we give you this job instead of the Gina Carano job. Like if she's if she's good for a role, they want to give her the role, especially if fans like her at the end of the day. 
Yeah, no, and and who knows? It, the odds, maybe the role was for a different character in Rangers of the New Republic, and that shows on the shelf. And so that was the reason as to why uh, she wasn't cast. Who knows? Right. But, uh, and also maybe she was cast and this is all just a, a big ruse. Uh, so who knows? But somebody that would be good to see in Star Wars at some point. Sure. Uh, at, also on that same note, uh, or note, uh, node, uh, would be uh, Mina Masood. Uh, he talked about the Ezra, uh, Ezra rumors. Uh, and says that he was just kind of manifesting things when he was talking about it online. Uh, he was trying different things. Vision but there's not much, Not much more I can say about that. And the only reason that would be the case would be if he had to sign an NDA. Yeah. And the only reason he'd have to sign an NDA would be if he got really late in the casting process or indeed was cast, which is the more likely one uh, because he was answering with a big gold smile on his face. And it's uh, an extremely obvious uh like, like open secret in the community that that's pretty much already been made it seems about like on that exact same level as rosario dawson as ahsoka so this is going to be uh pretty much uh signed sealed delivered it'll just be interesting to see where the first appearance is whether it's mando season three ahsoka uh who knows but that's that's encouraging great yeah that sounds good you've been on top of that one for a long time yeah uh, Andy Serkis talked a little bit about Snoke, uh, saying how he was devastated to see that the character that he was really enjoying to play died. Uh, he did see think that it was uh, a good decision to have uh, that for Kylo Ren's arc, but of course that it was a, a hard experience to have that character killed because he really enjoyed it. Yep, uh, and he would have loved to have continued to to do that. And, and Andy Serkis is somebody that it seems idiotic to just limit his role to Snoke in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. It wasn't It wasn't his face. It was one of his million voices, and he's the best uh, uh, performance capture artist in the world uh, and a director and an actor. So put him in anything else. Yes. Get him <laughs> you back. You really can. That's right. You could you could put uh, him in in like in his normal body too. Like he uses yeah. his normal self in, in Marvel movies. Yeah, so like... He's a good actor at the end of the day. He's just a very good film artist. And so in any in any fashion, he he could certainly fit Star Wars. Yeah, he's also being uh, he's Alfred Pennyworth in the the new The Batman. Yeah. And so he is being he's in all he's he's really making his way through the big franchises. Yeah. Uh, additional. This is a uh, spoiler ish r- rumor for Book of Boba Fett, mm-hmm. uh, a potential s- shot scene we could see. Uh, and it's, it's may as well say it because it's nothing that gives it away, but a reliable source. Uh, this comes from actually Star Wars Newsnet, And so it's cool from them. Uh, a reliable source is described a scene from Book of Boba Fett where in the scene Boba Fett will be encountering and quite uh, possibly taming slash controlling a rancor. Uh, one source is not positive as to whether he's fighting it or controlling it, but he says he's standing on the back. Uh, the Rancor's neck, and he looks like he's riding it or controlling it through the streets of Tatooine. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Show and me there a was eventually another source that corroborated it. And so that means we're going to see potentially Boba Fett fighting uh, a Rancor. We've seen uh, the poster for the book of Boba Fett, which will be coming out uh, December 29th uh, and coming to Disney+. Plus. And so that'll be at the very, very end of the year. Uh, the poster does show that he lost his uh, kind of, uh, I guess... Uh, hammer pants uh, okay. style it's just kind of black pants now or is, is bottom tunic uh, you could say 
so it's a little bit more of a streamlined look, but it's a sharp looking Boba Fett. He's already got some marks in his gear, so it looks like he's going to be getting into some to some trouble. That pretty probably quick. just means that tomorrow Morrison had the chance to hit the gym a little bit more. They were like covering yeah. up so a little a little bit less. I wonder if the potential for a Rancor appearance could mean uh, a cameo from our favorite Rancor Wrangler from Return of the Jedi, assuming he has other pets. That would be very cool. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but he was brought to Cobb Vance town to train uh, a hut. Yeah. And so I think it could be, it makes too much sense to have Cobb Vance. And I think it's maybe been reported or no, it wasn't reported, but I did see Timothy Oliphant um, was recently like a, a couple months back during Boba Fett filming was in his Cobb Vance look mm. uh, like he had the hair and beard going at the right length. Uh, and was keeping it white. And so there's a decent chance that Cobb Vanth will be in Book of Boba Fett as well. And Fantastic. so it would make it would make sense to bring back and you get Malakili, the, the, the crying rancor keeper. I was thinking about uh, Timothy Oliphant the other day because I was rewatching uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in which he plays an actor on the same day set as uh, Leo DiCaprio, who's also like a cowboy. And they're like shooting a cowboy scene. And like just the fact that they cast Timothy Oliphant to play an actor who plays in Westerns is a mm -hmm. meta joke about Timothy Oliphant. And I'm really interested in the meta casting of actors. But like that was, so that was already making jokes about how many Westerns Timothy Oliphant does before he even did like the ultimate Star Wars Western. And so like he's yeah. so happy to continue being, I don't want to say pigeonholed because obviously Star Wars is very different. And also he's always good. But like, it's so funny that he is, he is, as loyal to that genre as the genre is loyal to him. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, Star Wars is really hitting it home with a lot of those lately. I mean, you have Mina Masood as Space Aladdin. Right. And uh, Lars Mikkelsen as another brilliant, uh, m like, mind-twisting villain. Uh, and so, it, yeah, Star Wars is really going after some nail on the head casting. And I think it's great. It works. I think yeah. there can be some like like Richard Iowati as a droid makes perfect sense. Definitely. So keep that stuff coming uh, and uh, it'll be nice to see. Yeah. That is it in the news. That's it. OK, well, the only birthday wish I have is like, you know how sometimes I'm like, man, big week for Star Wars birthdays. It's Luke's birthday. It's Donald Glover's birthday. No, it's just Brian Blessed who played Boss Nass. Boss Nass. He's having a birthday on Saturday, October 9th. I don't know where that guy is nowadays, but uh, a happy birthday to him. If you have any thoughts on the Mortis arc, uh, we'd absolutely love to hear it. Uh, you can watch the episodes on Disney+. Plus. They're um, episodes 3.15, 1.6, and 1.7 of uh, The Clone Wars. Um, this one was called Ghosts of Mortis. Please let us know uh, any thoughts or theories you might have on Mortis by emailing recorder66podcast at gmail.com or tweeting at recorder66. Uh, please rate and review on your preferred podcast app. Give us all them stars so we can be found by other uh, Star Wars fans. And if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.